Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 91. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to be here for episode 91. Very exciting, actually, because this is the first episode where you are the host of the interview. I take the reins for this one. You do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, really, thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure. It really is. And it was a pleasure of an interview. I spoke to Dr. Arne Rubenstein, or Anna Rubenstein, I should say. Can you tell me, do you talk about this in the interview? Like, how, how do you know him? Or? I do. I, I preface by saying that I've, I've known Anna for around about six months. I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast, I'm almost positive I've mentioned on the podcast previously that I am involved in a youth mentoring program. Yes. It's one of the, one of the things I wanted to do just to get more, have sort of more social awareness in my community and, and be more present. And this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm mentoring some young kids, 16-year-old kids in the local area through a mentoring program called Building Young Men. And basically, Dr. Arna, he, he really helped out with the it, – it's a pilot program, so it's only the, it's the first one um, ever. Hmm. And it's the first in Australia, I think, in terms of the actual model that it's, it's following. But – Arna sort of co-created it. He helped design the program. And it's a 16-week program and we're, we're up to week 10 or 11. So we've only got a, a couple more weeks to go. And I Are really you good at maths? Love. <laughs> we're actually up to 12 uh, or 13. I don't even know what I'm doing with myself really. But uh, I really hope that you find this interesting because I find him fascinating. His journey has been very influential in in the way that I am at the moment and the journey that I'm I'm taking. So hopefully you get something out of it. Oh, I think everyone will get something out of it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm keen to listen to it because I don't feature in it. So uh, yeah. yeah, you can edit it. Well. All right, fair enough. So today's show is brought to you by a new sponsor, actually, called Etitude. Etitude, like attitude, but with an E. Uh, Etitude makes super soft, eco-friendly bed linen, actually. And you know how much we enjoy a good night's sleep at the moment. Um, Eight hours. Yeah, eight hours for the win. (laughs) What's actually way more important to me is that Etitude make their products ethically and sustainably. Um, they use eco-friendly dyes. They have a sustainable closed-loop system that minimizes waste and reuses their water, their water maybe like 200 times, something like that. Uh, so they're very much aligned with like, my personal values of you know doing minimal harm and uh, you know looking after the people who work for them. And it's it's very much a slow manufacturing process in terms of slow being you know, quant- quality yeah. rather than quantity. The sheets are also, like, they're hypoallergenic. They're free of... <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, free of harmful chemicals and um, they're safe for everyone in the entire family. I've got, I actually have to be honest, it takes a lot for me to give time to a brand, but when their values align as 
closely with ours as attitudes do, it's kind of a no-brainer. And what's even better is that attitude is offering listeners of our show 10% discount on their first order. All you need to do is visit www.etitude.com.au slash slow home and use the discount code sleep healthy and you'll get 10% off your first order. Awesome. What else are we doing? Big exciting news this week yep. is that we are launching the Jackrabbit FM app on it is what it is. It's yeah. really, it is really exciting. It's a milestone week. Uh, the app is available both on the iOS and Android app stores. So you can go to the app store, obviously, for Apple products and then Google Play if you've got an Android phone. Basically, the app, it's a free app. You can access all of our shows on the network from the one place. You can highlight episodes. You can save them for offline listening, which is fantastic. I've had a few people email me recently about that. And uh, you can you can share it with your friends. It's It's just... Essentially for me, the, the biggest part of the app is that you can get all of our shows in the one spot without having to, you know, play around with the yeah, app store and um, the app pod- store. podcast feeds and whatnot. So if you're keen, go and uh, download the Jackrabbit FM app. You can just search for Jackrabbit FM in either of the app stores or go to our website and uh, there'll be links there to download it. It's but available now. Right now. Right now. Right now. So, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. Show notes to this podcast can be found at Slash 91. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to check out more of Arna, Dr. Arna's stuff, and he's got quite a lot of books, programs. He runs he runs events at his property up in the Byron Hinterland, which is stunning. Just visit themakingofmen.com.au and you'll get all that good stuff, as you will with the attitude guys and we'll include everything in the show notes to uh, the podcast at 91. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Yeah, enjoy Ben's first run out of the gate as an interviewer. Hey Anna, how are you going? Very good, Ben. Nice to be on the podcast. Excellent, excellent to have you. Now, before we get into it, I just need to have full disclosure. We we met probably around about six months ago. Um, listeners will be aware, and I've mentioned on the on the podcast previously that I've been involved. One of the one of my key um, developments, both per- personally and, and professionally, that I wanted to do in 2016 is to get more into some social awareness activities and get more into the community. It was a it was a, uh, a piece of my life that I think was missing missing for quite a long time. And as part of that, I've been doing some mentoring of of some young young guys in in my local area, and Anna actually co-created the program the mentoring program that I'm doing and it's called building young men it's part of a a bigger piece called boys to men now Anna you're a um in in short you're an expert in adolescent development but you have many many more strings to your bow how would you how do you introduce yourself mate well 
I say I'm Anna because I uh, that's what I prefer to be called. Mm. I've got all these letters before and after my name these days. I'm Dr. Anna Rubenstein. I've got a Bachelor of Medicine. I've got a Bachelor of Surgery. I'm a fellow of the Royal Australian College of GPs. But my real passion in life is actually working with boys and young men and supporting boys to become the best young men that they can be and, and finding ways that we can actually be addressing what I see as a you know, major issue happening with teenage boys and young men and, and even men today. So that's what my uh, uh, sort of professional career has really moved to. And that's what I'm really interested in because we're going to get to where you are now. But I wonder, I'm really interested in just exploring where you've come. So you're you're medically trained. That's your that's your sort of background. I'm really that's correct. I'm really interested in your story or that in what I call the enlightenment period. That you know, can you give us a sense of the events that have led up to this your career at the moment? So that transition. What were the what were the main drivers for it? Yeah, look, I'm happy to. I um I. Uh, trained as a doctor and I was working uh, in general practice and as an emergency medicine doctor. And uh, this is back in the sort of the early mid-90s and I had two sons, Jarrah and Jaden. And when they were one and three, my wife and I actually separated and she went back to Canada where she uh, was brought up and I had the two boys on my own for six months whilst they were still in nappies. And uh, that was really the turning point of my life because, yeah. you know, for the first time ever, I really had to think about someone else. I had to put someone else's priorities above my own. Uh, I actually had to grow up. Uh, even though I was a doctor, even though I was a father, even though I was, you know, a professional, I, up until that point, it, a lot of it was still about me doing what I wanted to do. And that period of time with my boys really made me look at every aspect of my life. And, and it was an incredibly difficult time, but also a wonderfully beautiful and profound time. And at the end of that time, I actually went to a men's gathering and I'd never been to anything like that in my life. And there were 64 men there from all over the country for four days and three nights. And I remember going and thinking, oh, I wonder what these men, you know, what their issues are going to be. And, and I was amazed to find that basically all the men had the same issues. Uh, and, well, I, I identified five issues and every man had either three, four or five of those issues. And the number one issue amongst the men was um, around their fathers and not having been recognised or accepted by their fathers for who they were. That was the number one issue. Mm. Uh, the, the, the second issue was when they were actually going to feel like a man uh, rather than feeling like a boy. The third issue was trying to work out, you know, what are we actually supposed to be doing with our lives? Mm. You know, what are we really here for? What do we really want to do? And how can we be doing that? That was the third issue. Uh, the fourth issue was how to be in a healthy relationship. You know, what is a healthy relationship? What does it look like? How can I find one? Um, and, I, and a lot of them really knew that the relationships they were in were not healthy. And the fifth issue for the men who were fathers was very much how do I be a decent, what, what, what's it mean to be a decent father? Mm. How do I do that? And all the men were struggling with the same things and that amazed me. 
And, and I remember one of the big things that came up at this gathering for me was that there were all these men in their 30s, 40s and 50s looking at these issues and I was like, oh my God, if we had been looking at these issues when we were teenagers and in our 20s, our lives could have been very different. Mm. And that was what sort of got, that was what I would call my enlightenment period mm. uh, and sort of it all went on from there. So let's have let's explore that a little bit more. So you're you're obviously living a lived a hard hard life, fast paced life. You're a GP, a surgeon. In a, is it, is it, were you in Byron Bay at that time? Uh, I'd started off in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and then I moved and I worked on various in various uh, con- uh, sort of small uh, towns and cities along the coast. So I, I worked in uh, Harvey Bay. I worked in Tweed Heads. I worked in Lismore. And I, was, I actually started living in Mullumbimby near Byron Bay, and that's where I bought the general practice. Okay, so you in big regional hubs, obviously, um, yeah. you know. As Working in regional hospitals, yeah, yeah, regional hospitals, big emergency departments, all of that sort of stuff. Great. So you're, you've basically then said, okay, I, I, need a, I need a career change, this enlightenment period. Um, I, I, I want to, you know, stop conforming to what is a, a, essentially a very conventional, safe job. And what did you do? What, what were the steps that you take? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't actually say that I needed a career change, but I, I what, there's a couple of things I realised. And one of them was that a lot of my patients, especially the men who I was dealing with, I sort of started looking at them as if they were one person. So an older person was the older man and there's a middle-aged and then the younger. And I sort of started to see a pattern when I really looked at it. And the older people were saying, you know, if we'd lived our lives, if we had our lives again, we would definitely have, you know, spent a lot more time with family, a lot more time doing the things that we love. You know, it would have been very different. And I also realised that a lot of the people who I, treat, who I was treating had some form of addiction and the addiction might have been alcohol or cigarettes but the addiction could also be work, it could also be unhealthy relationships, all sorts of different things, food and a lot of their addictions or the majority of their addictions came from self-esteem problems and those self-esteem problems started when they were teenagers and so I was like once again, wow, if we could be dealing with this when people are teenagers it would be very different from waiting until they're in their 40s, 50s and 60s and then basically giving them drugs to try and keep them going. Mm. So that and the men's program I'd been on, I started looking into some stuff and discovered this concept of rites of passage where every Indigenous community would have run some sort of process to celebrate and acknowledge the fact that boys were becoming young men and I really looked into that. And we actually ran a father and son camp uh, for 28 men and boys. Uh, this is in about 1994. And we took them away for three days and we had the men sharing their stories with the boys and we let the boys ask any questions that they wanted. And we did a special challenge with the boys. And at the end, we told the boys what we really loved and admired and were proud of them. And I'll tell you, this three days changed my life because it was not just a good weekend. Something happened. Mm. Something special happened. I saw something go down and I'm like, this, this is really incredible. And that was when I seriously started researching rites of passage and looking at it and discovered that all these communities all over the world would run these processes 
and they were all done in essentially the same way, even though these communities had never actually come together to discuss what they were doing. So I looked at those elements and put them into a sort of an appropriate context for, you know, where we live and who we are. And we started running one program a year up in northern New South Wales. And they were just so powerful. And I realized sort of in about 1999, 2000, that this was the work that I really wanted to do. And this changed people's lives. And in my medical career, I was prolonging people's lives. But in this work with fathers and sons, I was changing lives. And so I made a decision in 2000 to sell my medical practice, which was probably the worst financial decision I ever made. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, of course, but possibly be. Gave me, yeah, yeah, but it gave me my freedom and it allowed me to follow what I really believed in and what I now really believe I'm actually here to be doing. And I'm one of the few lucky men I know who can say I'm doing what I really think I'm supposed to be doing. So after selling my medical practice, I set up the, the Pathways Foundation and we started running programs around Australia and training up facilitators and increasing public awareness around the necessity and appropriateness of, you know, doing something with our boys, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. Look, mate, I've, I've heard this story before and it sends shivers down my spine every time. It's, um, it's a really powerful uh, story and I'm, I never sort of tire of hearing about, about it. What really resonates with me is you, know, you, you just described it as not a career change, but it was, it, it's got to be this in enli- it's got to be this mindset change. So you've gone from a career of, of diagnosis uh, to a career in preventative measures. I mean, that is that in itself is very, very powerful and that change in mindset, yeah. Completely. I mean, I always say that as a doctor, I was doing curative medicine mm. in a system and I have to say I have some fundamental issues with the system. Mm. That being a doctor itself is a noble profession, I believe, but the way it's run and the sort of emphasis on for many doctors, unfortunately, being about having to make money and then make as much money as possible and the whole influence of pharmaceuticals, uh, which can be life-saving but can also be very over-prescribed and used. So it's curative medicine in the system. And now I still believe I'm a doctor, but now I'm doing preventative medicine and I'm out of the system. And I much prefer that. It's way more creative. It's way more fulfilling. And I believe it has a much, much greater impact. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, let's talk about rites of passage because that's very, very interesting as well, but particularly when you look at what historically has been done in this space and, and the absence of it in, in Western culture. Why is a rite of passage important, particularly for boys at that sort of adolescent um, 16, 15-year-old? Yeah, fundamentally important, I would say, uh, and there are two core reasons that I look at uh, in terms of why they're important. And, and just to sort of go back a, a, a moment and, and to acknowledge that every single Indigenous community all over the world, by having observed thousands of generations of behaviour, all recognised that you have to do something with your boys when they reach puberty. And... Uh, 
the shift that they're looking to create, there are two things. The first is a shift from what I call boy psychology or boy behavior to healthy adult or healthy man psychology or man behavior. So boy behavior is what you typically see in a six to eight-year-old. I'm the center of the universe. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at me. I need acknowledgement all the time. A boy can't stand with his emotions. If he loses his temper, he has a temper tantrum. Um, A boy um, uh, doesn't take responsibility for his actions. And a boy wants a mother to look after him, tell him he's beautiful, do everything for him. That's fine in a six to eight-year-old. But healthy man psychology is that I actually understand that I'm not the center of the universe. I'm part of a community. My actions affect others. I do what I do not so that people will notice and acknowledge me. I actually do it because I believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, I can stand with my emotions. If I get angry, if I have a problem, I can't just take it out on the people around me. Uh, And I'm not looking for a mother. I'm actually looking for a relationship with the feminine, which is very different. And, and, you know, when I give these talks, which I do all over Australia and all over the world, and I ask the women in the um, audience if they've ever met a man who still is functioning on boy psychology of needing to be the centre of attention, just wanting power for himself, not being able to stand with his emotions, not, not taking responsibility and looking for a mother, you know, I just see all the women, it's like the light light switches on and they look over at their husband and their husband looks at them and there's this kind of embarrassed moment. Yeah. And, you know, I actually think that the majority of our men in, this, in our society are still functioning on boy psychology. And I actually think we live in a society that, that is run by men functioning on boy psychology of wanting acknowledgement, power, not taking responsibility and, and looking to be mothered. And I think the Indigenous communities recognised that was a major issue and that if they let their communities be run by boys, if they let that behaviour continue into adulthood, it would actually destroy the community. So that was the first fundamental reason why they created the Rite of Passage, to create this shift from boy to you know, healthy man behaviour. And the second was, and this is something that I really love, is that in an Indigenous community, they believe that every child is different. Every boy is born with a spirit or has natural gifts and talents or genius, however you want to express it. And, you know, for those of us who have children, it's obvious. We, you know, I have my two boys. From the moment they were born, they were different. From the moment they were born, they had their own personality and they were strong personalities. And in an Indigenous community, they believe that a fundamental role of the elders was to recognize the natural gifts and talents, the genius and the spirit of the child, boy or girl, and that the role of the elders is to recognize it, name it, and bring it out because those natural gifts and talents are what that boy or girl then brings to his community. So as an example, um, you know, if you have someone who's compassionate and good with people, that's the sort of person who you want to have ending up, I don't know, as a doctor or a nurse or someone who deals with mm. people. Mm. And there are others who just love, you know, mathematical things and, and logical things and that's the sort of person who you want working as an engineer or a computer technician. And there are other people who 
with just fantastic music. And, and, you know, the reality is we need all the roles in society filled and there are all these people with all these different talents and gifts. And when we get someone doing what they love, when we get someone doing what they're truly good at, that's when they shine. And in my life, a lot of my work was actually dealing with people who weren't doing what they love, in fact, who are often doing the opposite. And they were, they'd spent 20, 30, 40 years of their lives doing something because someone had told them when they were young that's what they should do mm. or they thought that's how they would make the most money and that would keep them happy. And I, I, that really concerns me. So um, I think there's a lot of relevance in what happened in Rites of Passage in the Indigenous community that is still equally important today. So Rites of Passage uh, in Indigenous communities, now one that comes to mind is sort of the African tribes which used to send a, a young man out to, a young boy out to, to hunt, hunt a lion or hunt an animal and bring it back and then... Uh, it wasn't until he killed that animal that he was regarded as a as a young man in that in that tribe. You're obviously not talking about that now, but what are, what are some of the examples of rites of passage that you do on your camps and that you do when you're working with boys at your um, at your property up there in the uh, in the Byron hinterland? Yeah, well, let's go back to this African boy for a moment who would have had to go out and kill a, a wild animal. And the Maasai warrior are, are, are typical of this. And yes, he would have had to go out and kill a wild animal. And that was actually to prove, you know, that he could be a man and that, and that he could face, actually face death. And part of the reason was because as an adult, he was going to have to go out and kill wild animals and he was potentially going to have to go to war for his tribe and face death. Mm. And that was the, rea- the reality for our boys now. But interesting. Interestingly, we see so many of our boys doing these risk-taking behaviours where they actually are dicing with death. And unfortunately, we're losing boys because we're not creating appropriate challenges for them. We're not creating rites of passage for them, so they're creating their own. So we actually need to look at ways of creating challenges for our boys, but in such a way that we're not actually losing them along the way. There's an expression about the water being hot enough so they're cooked but not so hot that they actually get burnt. Mm. But the other thing is that this Maasai warrior boy, after he'd killed the animal, an older man in the community would have then taken him for anywhere up to a year to surrounding communities where he would have sat and listened to the stories of those communities. And this is very interesting, and that was one of the really strong elements of a rite of passage that we use, is the sharing of stories. So we, on our programs, will every day have the, we get groups of boys and men who may be their father or another man on our camps, and every day they'll sit in a circle, man, boy, man, boy, man, boy, and hopefully we have a fire in the middle, and we get the men to share stories. We get the men, for example, on the first day we'll say to the men, Tell us a story about when you were a boy the age that this boy is now who you've brought on the camp and what was your relationship like with your father? And it's actually a hugely powerful story for a lot of men to tell and, and, and the truth is that, you know, we often get men who cry because it's been such a big um, thing for them. But the boys will sit there for two hours, three hours, just not moving, listening to these stories. And, and we talk about... Um, successes and failures. We 
We talk about grief and loss. Uh, we talk about sex and making love. I mean, the boys mm. need to hear from men. I have a great concern now that our boys are learning actually about sex from watching porn on computers, mm. and that's a major problem. So stories are used as the way of passing on wisdom and knowledge. And rather than telling our boys how to live their lives, we share our stories and we let them make, you know, work it out themselves. And at the end of the story part, you know, for example, about the fathers, when we ask the boys, you know, if you have a son one day, what would you like him to say about you? The answers we get are so profound and so deep and it's incredible. Whereas mm. if we'd sat there for two hours telling these boys how to be fathers, it would be a disaster. So stories are one thing that we use. We create challenges for the boys and those challenges may be spending time solo in the bush thinking about what sort of man they want to be and what behaviours they need to let go of from their childhood. Uh, we get the boys thinking about their future and creating a vision for the future and doing that together with their father or the man they came with, which is very powerful. And the final element that we always do in our programs is at the end of the camp, we have the boys or young men sitting there one at a time in front of all the other men and the man who they came with, which may be their father, grandfather, a mentor, or a family friend, comes up and in front of everybody, he tells that young man what he admires about him, what he's proud of, what he loves about him. And what that's doing is actually really recognising and acknowledging the, the natural gifts and talents, the, the genius and the spirit that's in this boy. And it changes their lives. I watch these boys as they're being honoured and it absolutely changes their lives. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I, being part of the um, uh, Building Young Men program, um, I, I mean, not only do the boys get so much out of these circles and these discussions with men that are not their fathers but they're senior members in the, in the community and society that they live in, not only do they get so much out of it, but the mentors themselves, the men, get so much out of that. I mean, you know, you can see that, um, you know, the the uh, adults are as as equally moved as as the boys themselves. Absolutely, 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 and and um, you know, it's very interesting because I talk about in medicine how uh, so, and and from this men's work that I went to, how so many men feel like they were never acknowledged by their fathers and that's actually driven a lot of their behaviour through the rest of their lives. When a boy is acknowledged at the age of 14, 15, publicly by his father in front of his peers and other men or even just by older men, that changes that boy and, he, and, and it resolves something for him that means for the rest of his life he'll be different and he won't have that as an issue. And that's a huge thing to do. And it's also incredibly moving for the men because they never got it from their fathers. Yeah. And to actually do it with their sons, you know, it, it's a huge thing. And, and our aim is to make this work mainstream, to make it normal, to make it normal that when a boy turns 14, 15, the men in his community say, right, it's time to spend some time with him and the other boys, share our stories, create challenges, make a vision for the future and honour this young man for his gifts and talents, his genius and spirit and tell him that that's 
who we want him to be. Mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about the challenge aspect of, of a rite of passage and the importance of that, of that physical challenge? Sure. Look, there does have to be a challenge, and it's actually it's a tricky one for us because when the Maasai warrior would send out 20 boys to kill a, a lion, they may actually only get 15 or 16 back or 12 back. And, you know, they would say, oh, well, that's the way it goes. We can't do that. You know, if we have 20 boys on our camp, we need to bring back 20 boys mm. and we need to bring them back in good shape. And the thing is, the challenge then, as I mentioned earlier, was actually about facing death. Our boys don't need to face death. That's not what the challenge that we need to be doing with them. It's unlikely they're going to have to go out and kill wild animals and hopefully they won't actually have to go to war. But what our boys need to think about is what sort of men are they going to be? Are they going to be men who contribute to the world? Are they going to be men who make the world a better place? Or are they going to be men who take from the world and contribute to the major issues that we're seeing happening all over the place? And so for us, a big part of the challenge is getting the boys to really honestly assess what they want to do with their lives, what sort of man they want to be, and what sort of childish behaviours they have that they know don't serve them anymore and they need to let go of. Mm. And there are many ways that we can create the challenge. As I mentioned, you know, just spending time on their own out in the bush can be very powerful. Going for long, you know, doing long hikes through the night can be very powerful. The, the, the challenge that we did in, in, the, in the Building Young Men program recently was we had the boys walking for 24 hours around the oval, the Penrith Panthers oval. Mm. And, you know, in that time, thinking about what sort of men they're going to be, what they're going to let go of. So there's lots of different ways that we can do it. Uh, the key is we need to make sure that it's genuinely challenging for the boys, but we can't actually put them, you know, physically at risk. Yeah. Now, we've spoken a lot about men and boys. Can you, can you take us through some of the work you do with uh, women and girls as well? I mean, what, what sort of programs do you roll out for them? And is it, is it something like a rite of passage or is it something um, totally different? Yeah, no, no, it's interesting because um, uh, in Indigenous communities, they also created a rite of passage for the girls. The principle is the same of a girl moving from girl behaviour to healthy woman behaviour, uh, which is not completely the same as boy-to-man behaviour, but there's a lot of similarities. And um, also recognising the natural gifts and talents of the genius and the spirit of the young woman. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because with the challenge in an Indigenous community, for the boy it was often about finding, you know, this idea of facing death and doing it on his own, whereas the challenge for the girls much more often involved um, as a group doing a challenge mm. And the ultimate aim was for the girls to learn to trust their inner knowing, their inner wisdom and their intuition, which I find really interesting. Mm. And so many women who I've talked to have said, oh, they got in trouble and they knew before it happened they shouldn't have done it. You know, they shouldn't have been in that place. They shouldn't have gone with that person. They shouldn't have 
Maybe they shouldn't have even married that person. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the principle was they knew beforehand but they didn't trust their knowing and their intuition. And, and, and the interesting thing that's happening today is that the whole uh, growth of boys to men and girls to women is not nearly as polarised as it used to be. Right. In fact, there's a lot of crossover happening now. So we actually believe now that um, the boys need to not only, you know, find that inner strength, but they also need to learn to trust their inner wisdom and intuition. And the girls not only need to learn to trust their inner knowing and intuition, they also need to find their warrior. Now, they need to find that strong place in themselves. So when we uh, run programs, because we also run and support programs for mothers and daughters, Mm-hmm. The challenge, you know, has to reflect all of that. Um, and there are a number of programs now happening for mothers and daughters around Australia, which is fantastic, um, as there are programs for the boys and fathers. And interestingly, there's a, there's a large global growth and interest in rites of passage. And um, I've just come back from Europe where I was doing a rites of passage leadership training in Israel and Holland and ran a father-son camp in Sweden and gave a talk on rites of passage in, in actually in near the North Pole in the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and I've done work in America and England and uh, Indonesia and Sri Lanka and New Zealand. Uh, it, you know, there's, there's, there's a, absolutely a recognition that our teenagers are struggling you just have to look at the mental health issues to, to see that mm. and that we need to be doing something. We can't just be ignoring it and saying, oh, they're teenagers, they'll grow out of it. That is not okay, mm. absolutely not okay. I read a stunning uh, statistic recently that um, was an academic paper, but it, it positioned fatherlessness, so not having strong role models or male role models in, in people's lives, costing the global economy $17 billion, something to that extent when they take into consideration jail and, uh, you know, the amount of population in jail and drug problems and all the rest of it that stem back to the issue of not having a, a strong uh, role model in people's lives. Mate, back home, you've got a cracker of a property up in Byron that you run a number of camps at. So you, I think you mentioned you bought this, what the turn, was it around 2000? Um, and that's where you do your camps. Um, and tell, tell us the story. So when you first bought the property, and this is around that, that whole transition period, you lived in a bus. What's going on there? Well, I... I... Yeah, this is true. So I'll tell you the story. Mm. Uh, I actually found this property in 1994 when I was looking after my boys on my own and it was sort of abandoned. It was 200 acres, beautiful property, uh, not far out of town, uh, no one living there. And there was a, an old uh, an, a doctor actually who'd bought property all over Australia in the 1950s and never even been back to it just as an investment property. I contacted him, tried to buy it. He wouldn't sell it to me. I tried over the years to buy it. Anyway, eventually in 2000, it came up for sale and I managed to sort of scrape together every piece of savings and beg, borrow and steal to, to, to buy it as you do. And of course, I had no money to build a house or do anything. And I, and I happened to find an old bus in 1955 school bus that had been converted by a yachtsman. So it was 
in, you know, decked out yeah. rosewood floor and cupboards and oh. double bed and kitchen and everything. And I moved that onto the property and I lived in that for a number of years. And it was interesting because, you know, I was living in this bus, but I actually considered I was living in luxury. Mm. You know, my front yard was the, the bush and, and uh, you know, I had to create everything. I, had to, I found a spring on the property and I ran some water down to the bus and had no hot water. So I used to actually I set up a bath on the grass outside and I used to run the water into that and light a fire into it and have a hot bath under the stars. And, you know, I think I was king of the world. It was, it was actually a very, very exciting time. And I mean, that's just living simply, isn't it? It's living intentionally yeah. and simply and it's just getting... And, and giving an amazing appreciation of everything. I mean, I moved from a four-bedroom house into that bus and I can honestly say happiest times, you know, just about in my life mm. were living in that bus. And, uh, yeah, the property's 200 acres and I, I now live up on the top of the property and uh, we've built a leadership training facility up here. So we run the father and son camps throughout the year here, mainly in school holidays, and we have people coming from all over Australia and all around the world, and that's for the 13 to 15 or 13 to 16-year-old boys. They come with their father or another man. We have some junior programs, young warriors, overnight camps for 7 to 10-year-old boys and their fathers. Uh, and the other thing is we, what I focus on now a lot is my leadership training. What I'm really interested in doing is training other people in the principles of this work mm-hmm. so that they can actually go out and create an appropriate, you know, using the elements of a rite of passage, create their own program in their own community in their own way. And, and what I'm really proud to say is that, you know, since we started this work and designed these programs, we've had over 35,000 people touched by this work in Australia and around the world, and, and that's growing all the time. So, um, you know, there's, there's a big vision, but it's heading in the right direction. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that vision. What, what do you, at the end of your career, what does it actually look like? What's your legacy look like once you've sort of finished up? Yeah, well, I want to see rites of passage back in the mainstream. I don't care if it's called rites of passage, but I just want that it becomes normal that when our boys or girls reach puberty, mm. that, you know, we really spend some time with them. We sh- they get to hear the stories of elders. They do an appropriate challenge. They create a vision for the future. They get recognised for their gifts and talents. And also the other thing is I want them to have mentors. I want to see it normal within our community that... Uh, young men and young women have older men and women who they trust and who they can safely go to for support uh, and advice about what they're doing with their lives. Uh, I see that's something that we've lost and it's incredibly important. And, you know, I just see it in this program we're running with the Penrith Panthers, the Building Young Men, how powerful it is for these boys who've probably we never had a male role model, never had a man they can really trust to come week after week and sit there with these ex-football players and businessmen from the community and feel safe, hear stories, be able to ask questions. And, you know, as you know, the feedback we're getting for these, from these boys is that this is the, most, the best thing they do all week. You know, when I heard the other day that when the bus arrives at their school to pick them up, that a lot of the boys have been, you know, waiting there ready for 20 minutes half an hour to get on this bus i just love that yeah. and you know it's, it's it is so powerful for them and we're we're witnessing it and i see this time and time again and i want it to become normal absolutely 
Now, I'll include a, a link to the show notes to this podcast of all your um, your uh, social channels. Um, is there anything in particular you wanted to highlight? I know that you've got uh, you've just redesigned or are redesigning the Making of Men your website, but where can people find out more information about you and your programs? If they have a look at the website, the Making of Men, that's that is the best place. So we have a Facebook page, also the Making of Men, and I guess what I really want to highlight is you know people check it out. We also wrote a book actually called The Making of Men, so I'm keeping it all pretty simple, The Making of Men, um, you know, for, for people to get involved, to, to contact us if they can get up to our place to go on a camp, fantastic. If they can't, happy to tell them about what other camps are running around the place. Um, you know, it, it, this is a life-changing thing for the boy who comes along and for the man and actually for the whole family. And I need to say that we also involve very much the mothers in the process you know, rite of passage is about a change. The boy's changing from a boy to a young man. The father's relationship with him is changing from one of sort of telling him what to do to supporting and mentoring him. And in the same way, the mother's relationship has to change in a healthy way so that they can have a really beautiful and wonderful relationship ongoing, but not one where the mother sort of is doing absolutely everything for the boy and, and, and uh you know, it, it really needs to move to one where the mother and the son have a, have a strong relationship and, and the mother, you know, it, it's available but different from when he was a six-year-old boy. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, I just wanted to thank you for your time and just thank you also for um, how you've sort of influenced uh, my direction and um, you've been a... A, a champion and it's been great to, to hear your story once again I have heard it before but it's it's incredibly powerful and I, I love uh, I love what you do and and what you're doing uh, to the, for the community's benefit as well so thank you mate for your time and um, can't wait to to catch up again once when you're back in uh, Sydney yeah that's a pleasure Ben and uh, I look forward to the day when we have you and your uh, kids on our programs absolutely cheers mate thanks Ben Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, just as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, today's episode is brought to you by Etitude. Their super soft, eco-friendly bed linen is absolutely worth checking out because it's eco-friendly, it's ethically made, it's sustainable, uh, and they are giving you, as a listener of the show, 10% off your first order if you head to etitude.com.au slash slow home and use the discount code sleep healthy. That's attitude spelt with an E. <laughs> Jack Rabbit FM for your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.